Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. To experiences unexplained. If you saw the title of this episode, then you know you are definitely in for a treat tonight. The topic of tonight's discussion is one of the biggest paranormal hotspots in the U.S. and possibly in the world. This large piece of real estate is one of the largest areas to ever be researched as thoroughly as it has in the history of the United States. So much so that the United States government saw it appropriate to spend over $20 million to try to figure out what exactly was going on in this area. That's right, this episode will be all about the land known as Skinwalker Ranch in northeastern Utah. But before I jump right into tonight's episode and discuss the historical nature behind this place and why it is so special in the paranormal community, I'd first like to get a few announcements out of the way. First off, and most importantly, I am in desperate need of listener-submitted personal paranormal experiences. Sure, it's fun to look back at these historical events and talk about these stories that have happened throughout history, but that's not why I started this show. I wanted to create a platform where people felt like they could talk about their own personal experiences and tell their story. And so far... Here we are on episode 18, and I've had very few listener-submitted stories. In order to keep the show going, I really need to hear some stories from you all, the listeners. 
you guys hear me talk into this microphone and babble about stuff every week, which I truly appreciate you all listening. But I really want to hear from you all too. I don't want this to just be a one-sided conversation. So please, if you have anything unusual or scary that has happened to you in your life and you would like to talk about it, please call our hotline at one 270 And maybe you're interested in this kind of stuff, but you don't have a personal experience of your own, but maybe you have a friend or a family member that has their great story. Just give them that phone number. Tell them to call it and leave that voicemail of them telling their story. And I know I have quite a few listeners outside of the United States. And if you're worried about calling and being charged long distance, then feel free to send me an email at experiencesunexplained at gmail.com. You can either record your story on your cell phone and send it to me through that email Or reach out to me through that email anyways, and maybe we can set up an interview online remotely. If you don't feel comfortable telling your story and hearing your voice on the podcast, that's okay. But I don't want that to keep you from submitting your story. If you visit our website at experiencesunexplained.com, you'll see a Submit Your Experience tab on the website. You simply click that. And you'll fill out a form where you can type out your story and I'll read it on air in a future episode. It costs me monthly to have this hotline open and ready to take your phone calls. So if I don't receive any submissions soon, unfortunately, I will have to take that hotline down, which I want to avoid doing that. But at this point, it doesn't really seem worth it if I'm not getting any submissions. And while I'm on the topic of production costs, if you are enjoying this show and you're looking for a new way to support the show, feel free to drop down to the show notes and click on the donate button. Here you can choose any amount that you wish to donate and you can either make it a one-time donation or a reoccurring monthly donation. Any amount that you could donate would go a long way with helping support the show and I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And lastly... If you guys are enjoying this podcast, please do me a huge favor and leave me a good review on Apple Podcasts. A good review will go a long way with getting us new listeners and possibly new stories to listen to on the show. And you can also feel free to share this show with any family member or friend who would also enjoy this podcast. Now that I have those announcements out of the way, let's get on to tonight's episode. Some of you might already be familiar with the land known as Skinwalker Ranch, but those of you who are not are probably wondering, what's a skinwalker? The legend of the skinwalker actually stems from Native American folklore, specifically the Navajo tribe. The Navajo firmly believe in the existence of skinwalkers and often even refuse to even talk about the skinwalkers in public from fear of being sought out by this creature. So what exactly is a skinwalker? Well, the Navajo believed that skinwalkers were actually shaman or witches that had reached the ultimate height and level of priesthood and ultimate magic. However, these shaman actually used their magic for evil instead of good. And they can actually transform into other creatures such as wolves or deer or even owls. And that's how they disguise themselves at night, 
hence the term skinwalker, because they could use the creature's skin and wear it as like a some sort of costume or disguise. In fact, the Navajo term that they use to refer to skinwalkers is yi naldushi, which literally translates to with it, he goes on all fours. And as I mentioned, not just anyone could become a skinwalker. It took someone who used their highest level of magic for evil intentions. And in fact, in order for someone to actually become a skinwalker, they had to do the ultimate sacrifice of killing a close family member. And according to the Navajo legend of skinwalkers, these witches are actually able to transform into any animal they choose and even other people. But they are typically seen in the form of coyotes, owls, foxes, wolves, or even crows. Within the Navajo tribe, it was actually even considered taboo to wear the pelt of any animal because of the legend of the skinwalker. The Navajo were only allowed to wear two different types of hides, sheepskin and deerskin, both of which are only used for ceremonial purposes. Very few of the Navajo would ever talk about their encounters with skinwalkers, but those that did would often describe knocks on windows or on walls, and others even described these skinwalkers as peering in through their windows at night. Legend also has it that these creatures just seem to have supernatural powers. Some describe telepathic abilities and telekinesis. And there's even claims that these creatures can simply kill you just by making eye contact with you. Now, if this legend of this monster is actually real, then this is a very crazy topic. It's probably the most dangerous thing out there. If they can transform into other people and disguise themselves just as animals, then it would be very hard to determine who's a skinwalker and who's not. I can understand why the Navajo were so reluctant about talking publicly about skinwalkers. If they truly have the ability to be a human in the daytime and walk freely amongst the tribe, then they would probably be terrified that they were actually talking about the skinwalkers to the skinwalkers. One of the only telltale signs that I could really find was that sometimes they would claim when the skinwalkers would take shape of the animals that they would still have human eyes, and when they were human, they would sometimes have animalistic eyes. Now, with any folklore or legend, there's different variations of what people have reported, but this seems to be the only sign that maybe you could tell if this was a skinwalker or if it was actually an animal or not. So you may be wondering, how does this Navajo tribe legend tie in to the area known as Skinwalker Ranch? Well, it's believed that the geographical location of the ranch is actually located in the path of the skinwalker. And as with most areas in North America, the land has a rich history of Native American culture. In fact, the ranch is located in Unital County inside an area known as the Unital Basin. And the native people of the Ute Nation was actually forced into reservation in the area at the end of the American Civil War. And for some time, the Navajo tribe and the people of the Ute Nation coincided together. 
However, after the Navajo tribe was given horses by the Europeans, there was a bit of conflict between the Navajo and the Ute Nation, and there were actually members of the Ute Nation that were kidnapped and forced into slavery by the Navajo. Now, if you study and look back into the history of the area, there is a long history of strange occurrences and sightings and activity within the Unital Basin. In fact, there's even early reportings from not just the Navajo and the Ute Nation, but there's also strange occurrences that have been documented by Europeans. One of the earliest UFO sightings in the Unital Basin was actually documented in the journal of Father Escalante, who led the first European party across the basin in the year 1776. Now, if you're familiar with aviation history, then you know that Orville and Wilbur Wright didn't make a first successful sustained flight until December 17th of 1903. So the fact that there are documented cases of UFO sightings in the Unital Basin as early as 1776, it's pretty amazing. At the time, there should have been no aircraft in the air at all, not for another 130-so years. So it kind of leaves me wondering what exactly were these people seeing in 1776. However, you don't have to go that far back in history to discover some weird happenings in the area of the Unital Basin. In fact, people all throughout the area continuously report UFO sightings and strange happenings. In fact, these strange sightings were happening so frequently, a biologist known as Frank Salisbury in the year 1974 published a book known as The Utah UFO Display. And Salisbury actually collaborated with a local science teacher, Joseph Jr. Hicks. Hicks had been interviewing locals and getting their eyewitness testimonies to these UFOs and flying saucers that they had seen in the area, and some even claimed to have been abducted. So Frank Salisbury, being a biologist, took a scientific approach and studied these eyewitness testimonies and wrote this book. So if you're interested in reading this book, I will leave a link down in the show notes of the Utah UFO display. So now that I covered a little bit of the history of the Unital Basin, let's get a little more specific and dive into the story of the Skinwalker Ranch. As I mentioned, the Skinwalker Ranch is located in northeastern Utah in Unital County. And the ranch actually sat vacant for nearly seven years before a family purchased the ranch in 1994. And the ranch is sometimes referred to as the Sherman Ranch because the family that bought it was Terry and Gwen Sherman. And the ranch is quite large. It's around 480 acres. And now the Shermans were actually moving from out of state. I believe they are originally from New Mexico, but they bought the ranch in hopes of being their dream property to run their centennial cattle and livestock business on the ranch. There was only one single dirt road that led in and out of the property, and there was actually three different buildings on the ranch. The first homestead is on the east side of the ranch, and there's also the cattle corral located there. And remember that, because I will touch on and talk about this cattle corral later on in the episode. Now, the second homestead was located on the middle of the ranch, and it's known as the middle homestead. 
and the river flows on the south side of the ranch, and the north side of the ranch has a sandstone ridge. Given that the property had sat vacant for seven years prior to the Shermans buying the property, there were quite a few renovations and restorations that needed to be made before they could live there. However, it didn't take long for the family to notice some strange occurrences and activity going on around the ranch. On the very first weekend of the family being at the ranch, they spotted a huge wolf coming out from the ridgeline. Now, at first, they didn't think much about this wolf because it was acting very tame, and they thought it could have even been maybe one of the neighbor's pets. In fact, Terry even claims that this wolf came up and he patted the wolf on the head. But shortly after that, the wolf's attention got directed towards a young calf that was in the cattle corral. The wolf then began to attack the calf and was trying to pull it through and drag it out of the cattle corral. Terry then used a three fifty seven Magnum to shoot at the wolf and hit the wolf not one, not two, not three, but four times with the three fifty seven Magnum, and despite being shot four times, the wolf did not wince out in pain, yelp, or anything. It just kept attacking the calf. And strangely enough, Mr. Sherman didn't even see any blood coming from this wolf, despite taking four bullets from a three fifty seven Magnum. So being desperate and trying to save his calf, Terry asked his son to go grab a thirty out of 6 rifle, which is powerful enough to take down large game such as elk and deer. Once Terry received the rifle from his son, he fired at the wolf and hit him twice with this 30 out of 6 rifle. One of these bullets actually removed some of the flesh from the wolf. Now the 357 Magnum should have been enough to take down a regular wolf, and the 30 out of 6, as I mentioned before, can take down some large game, so it should have had no problem taking down this wolf. However, after being shot 6 times total, The wolf just casually walked away and returned to the area in which it first came. Now, given that the Shermans was trying to raise cattle and run a cattle ranch, they thought this wolf would be a huge problem, and so they tried to track down this wolf. They went back to the area that they saw the wolf return to. They found some of its tracks, but by the time that it reached the river on the south side of the ranch, the tracks just vanished as if the wolf just disappeared. How is it possible for there to be no signs of this wolf suddenly? It had taken six bullets. There should have been blood. There should have been tracks. But there is nothing. There was no proof or physical evidence that the wolf had gone in any other direction. It was as if it just vanished. Not only that, but when Terry and his sons returned... They began to examine the flesh that had been taken off by the 30 out of 6 bullet. And Terry described the chunk of flesh to be old and withering and in a state of decay as if it had been there for a long time. Now there are quite a few elements about this run-in with this wolf that are quite strange. One, that the wolf seemed to almost be invincible. The wolf was able to survive four 357 Magnum bullets, and two 30 out of 6 bullets, and hardly received any damage. 
Secondly, the fact that they tried to track the wolf and the tracks just disappeared almost seemed as if maybe this wolf transformed maybe back to human if he was a skinwalker and just walked away. And lastly is the chunk of flesh. The fact that it was in a state of decay suggests that it was very old meat. And given the Navajo legend of the skinwalker, the skinwalker can go on to live as long as it sacrifices and continues to kill and take on new forms of animals. So maybe the meat appeared old and decaying because this creature had been around for a very long time. After the Shermans told this story to some biologists, they actually put together a lineup of different species of wolves. And the type of wolf that the Shermans referred to was a dire wolf, which is a huge wolf that has been extinct for nearly 10,000 years. But they claimed that this wolf was two to three times the size of a normal wolf. And in fact, this was not the only sighting of a odd wolf creature on the property. Mrs. Sherman actually later on saw another wolf that was accompanied by two other large dogs with oversized heads. Now, if you dive into the folklore of skinwalkers, it is believed that they transform at night into these animals and they actually can meet together in groups. I don't know if it's maybe they have some sort of ceremony or maybe they meet together, but it seems as though maybe Mrs. Sherman could have possibly seen a pack of skinwalkers that day. It would be one thing just to see a pack of wolves on your property. It's not that big of a deal. But the fact that they said they saw these huge dire wolves that had been extinct for 10,000 years and Mrs. Sherman claimed that the dogs that accompanied this wolf had oversized heads, it doesn't seem to be a normal sighting. There seems to be something a little strange going on there. But as I mentioned before, this is a paranormal hotspot And that is not the only strange occurrences that happened. And in fact, this all happened very early on when the Shermans first moved to the property. The Shermans also began to experience some paranormal and poltergeist activity on the property. The Sherman family was asked later on to write down some of the stories and experiences that they had. And some of them were absolutely wild. For example, the poltergeist and trickster activity that they experienced in their homestead. It seemed as though whatever entity was there was toying with them and always messing with them and probably trying to get them to leave the property. Now, I've talked about in previous episodes before how renovations of a property can heighten paranormal activity and that seems to be the case here on the skinwalker ranch as i mentioned earlier in the episode the ranch had sat vacant for seven years requiring the shermans to do quite a bit of renovations before they could live there and that's why i believe there started to be some strange happenings when they started these renovations And strangely enough, the previous owner of the ranch required the Shermans to alert them and let them know if they were to ever start doing any sort of digging or anything on their property like that. And at first, the Shermans were confused, but when they first started to dig and move some of the earth around, they actually started noticing 
some shaking and noises coming from underground as if there was like a mill or something running underneath the ground. Now, I'm no geologist. I'm not sure if there's fault lines on the property or anything like that. And I'm not sure how this can be explained, but the Shermans claimed that when they dug on the property and they disturbed the earth, they would witness these vibrations and noises coming from seemingly underground. Now, I don't know about you all, but if the previous owner told me I had to warn them before I started digging on the property, I would consider that to be a bit of a red flag. And that wasn't the only red flag. Apparently, the homestead on the property had deadbolts all over the property. Not only on the entrance and exit doors on the inside, but even the kitchen cabinets and the bedroom doors all throughout the homestead had deadbolts all over it, as if they were trying to keep something out. But I guess the property was too much of a dream for the Shermans and they just saw so much potential for their cattle business, they just ignored the warning signs and went ahead to live on the property. Now it's important to note that in the state of Utah, they are very well known for having a very religious community and population. In fact, the Mormon religion is very popular in the state of Utah. And the Sherman family was no exception. So when you hear these claims and these stories, you should know that they're not exactly the type of people that you would expect to make these types of claims. In fact, Terry Sherman was a college-educated man. He was very religious and he was grounded. So you wouldn't expect him to be making these paranormal claims. You know, they weren't out to get famous and they even use an alias name to try to protect their family. And they just weren't looking for attention. They were just trying to run their cattle business, but all these strange things were happening to them. And the middle homestead in the middle of the ranch seemed to be a huge focal point for this paranormal activity and strange occurrences. In this middle homestead, the Shermans witnessed and were victims of poltergeist and trickster activity that they couldn't explain. For example, Mrs. Sherman would be in the kitchen putting away groceries for the week, and she would put all the groceries away in the cabinets in the kitchen, and she would leave the room, and when she came back, all the groceries would be put back into the grocery bags, as if she hadn't put the groceries away at all. Mrs. Sherman even told of times when she would take a shower and she would lock the bathroom door and she would leave her towel and her hairbrush on the bathroom vanity while she was taking a shower. And when she got out of the shower to try to dry off, her towel and hairbrush would be gone and missing, despite the bathroom door still being locked. Another crazy story of this trickster activity was actually with Mr. Sherman. And Terry was actually using a post hole digger out in the field one day. And when he just took a break from his work and came back, his post hole digger was missing. And Terry was really frustrated with this because he needed to get his fence built and he had to actually go out and buy a new post hole digger. Well, a few days later, Terry actually found his missing post hole digger up in a tree, an elm tree, like 40 feet up, delicately balanced up in this tree as if it had just been placed there by something. 
Another report of this trickster activity comes from the sons of the Shermans and one of their friends that was helping them move some of these large corral poles. Some of them varied in size. Some of them were up to 25 to 150 pounds each. And they had worked four hours and moving these large corral poles down by the canal on the property. Well, by the time that they had stopped and was returning home, they noticed that the poles had all been completely moved back to its original spot. This entire pile of corral poles had been moved back as if they hadn't worked on it at all, despite working on moving them for four hours. How was this possible? You know, when you live on a ranch, it's rather secluded. If somebody was toying with you and you know, going behind you and just eliminating all the work that you were doing, you would see that person. You know, it took four of them to move all of these corral poles, so it couldn't just be one person messing with them. At least not a human. The Shermans also claimed that they had over a ton of port wood, a pile of wood that they had moved to an other side of the field, and within 30 minutes of them moving all of this wood, it had returned back to the other side of the field. And it wasn't just the human family members that were being toyed with. Even the family dog was being messed with. The Shermans claimed that they put a flea collar on their dog, and later on, it was just gone. But then, the flea collar mysteriously showed back up on the dog. Now, I have a dog, and I have a cat, And I know when you put collars on them, they can be frustrated and kind of scratch at them and knock them off, but they definitely can't put the collar back on. The Shermans also claim that at nighttime, they would see humanoid figures and shadows of figures outside of their window and outside of their home, accompanied by heavy footsteps. And if you remember earlier in this episode, The Navajo often referred to signs of skinwalkers as hearing knocks on their windows and taps on the walls. The Navajo said that they would even see these skinwalkers peering in through windows. And it seems as though that's exactly what the Shermans were experiencing. But the poltergeist activity and having items moved around and being found later, that wasn't the only things that the Shermans noticed. There was also different color orbs that was seen around the property. Now, for me, personally, I don't like orb evidence all that much. You know, you see photographs in the paranormal community all the time and video like, oh, this is an orb. But often dust and insects can be interpreted as orbs. And the light can easily be reflected through cameras and through video. However, the Shermans were seeing all these different color orbs with their own eyes and interacting with them. The Sherman claimed that there were these blue softball-sized orbs that seemed to have this blue swirling liquid inside of the orbs. And these orbs seemed to provoke fear within them and just kind of manipulated their brain and their minds. And even brought the Shermans down to their knees. They were so scared when they saw these blue orbs. And not only did the Sherman react to these orbs, but also their cattle was terrified of these orbs. 
And actually, the Sherman family even said that there was one night when there was red orbs that had so much force, it actually stampeded through some of their cattle and killed some of their cattle. The ranchers even claimed to hear audible voices that seemed to be coming from right above them in the sky, speaking an unknown foreign language. Now, given the history of the property and the history of that area, it could be some of these Navajo and Native American ancestors maybe toying with them and speaking to them, giving an explanation as to why the Sherman couldn't understand the language that the voices were speaking. But it still doesn't explain why these disembodied voices was happening right above their heads. One night in the area... The family even claimed to see a large orange orb up in the sky. And this orb seemed to form somewhat of a portal in the sky where they saw objects flying in and out of this hole in the sky. And they even went as far as to say that they could see a different type of sky on the other side of this hole or portal, if you will. So this begs the question, is there some sort of portal in that area where there's a gateway to another dimension or a different world? Now, I know personally that I've looked up into the sky before and there's been like some strange cloud formations that looks like a hole in the sky, but I've never seen anything flying in and out of this hole and disappearing and looking into it and seeing a different type of sky inside of the hole. That's pretty bizarre. And as I mentioned before, this small rancher family wasn't the only one seeing strange aircraft and objects in the sky. There was literally hundreds and hundreds of reports in this Unital Basin area. And it wasn't just the family members of this rancher family that was being messed with it was also their cattle one day Gwen and Terry had put four of their big bulls in the cattle corral that I had mentioned earlier and they had to run to town or leave the property for something and when they were about to leave Terry was just like you know if something happens to those bulls our ranch will go under and our business will be done for Well, sure enough, when they returned back to the property, the bulls were nowhere to be found. The Shermans had left the bulls in that cattle corral, but when they returned, they had just vanished. So the family were freaking out. You know, this was their livelihood. This is how they made a living was with raising this sentient cattle. So they started looking around everywhere. You know, does somebody steal the bulls? Did somebody kill the bulls? And they just searched high and low everywhere, and they couldn't find the cattle. Well, the Sherman actually had a cattle trailer that was near the corral, and it had been locked, and the door handles had been wrapped up in large, heavy, thick wire to secure the trailer and made sure nobody got inside. Well, As a last-ditch effort and desperate to find their bulls, Terry peeked inside of the cattle trailer and he noticed, hey, the bulls are actually here. They are inside the trailer that had been locked and wrapped in wire. 
And they were just shocked and completely confused. And when Terry told his wife, Gwen, hey, they're in here. They're actually over here in the trailer. The bulls actually woke up. They had been asleep as if they were in some sort of trance and had been moved inside the trailer. And the trailer was still locked and wrapped in wire as if it was completely undisturbed. I just can't explain this. I don't know how this is possible. It would have taken, you know, trained cattle herders to get those bulls in that trailer. And when there's only one road in and out of that property, one of the family members would have noticed if somebody came on their property and messed with their bulls. And if somebody really wanted to mess with their bulls, why would they just put them in their trailer and that's it. They would steal them, you know, or kill them or take them for their own. Like, it doesn't make sense that they would just put them in their trailer to be some sort of slight inconvenience. There's far too big of a risk. You know, if you're coming onto someone else's property and messing with their livestock, you're risking your life. And also, how did they even unlock the trailer to get the bulls in there? You know, they would have had to have the key to the lock that was on the trailer. It just all doesn't make sense. And a few years later, there was actually a team of scientists and physicists and a large, just huge group of professionals that actually went and studied this area and the ranch. And I'll touch on this later. But when these scientists actually tested this cattle corral that this event had happened they found that the corral itself had actually been magnetized as if some sort of equipment that maybe had been used to transport the cattle into the trailer had some sort of magnetizing effect to the corral. It's just a really strange event. And, you know, it's one thing that if just maybe there is one type of phenomenon that was happening on this ranch, but it's just, it seemed like it was endless. This family was just being constantly tormented. And unfortunately, that is not where the strange occurrences ended. It seemed like this paranormal activity just continued to increase and increase. And in fact, the knocks and the heavy footsteps and the humanoid beings and shapes that were seen outside the window actually started to appear inside of the home as well, and they would hear heavy footsteps inside of their home. And the poltergeist and trickster activity still continued. Mrs. Sherman even claimed sometimes when she would be in the kitchen cooking, she would be using some cooking utensils, and later on, they would go missing out of nowhere. She would turn her back, and there would suddenly be kitchen utensils missing, and then she would find them in the refrigerator, or in the freezer, or in their microwave. And strangely enough, it got so bad to where there was even cattle mutilations happening on the ranch. Now, if you guys are not familiar with the crazy phenomenon of cattle mutilations that goes on across the world, it is quite a crazy phenomenon, and it could be an episode in and of itself. And in fact, there's been over 10,000 documented cases just in the U.S. And even the FBI has done studies on why this cattle mutilations are happening so prevalently in the United States. 
Now, some like to argue that these cows are just being killed by predators and that it's just a natural thing that's happening. But when you actually look at these mutilation cases, there's more than it first meets the eye. One characteristic of these cattle mutilations is that there seems to be no sign or drop of any blood. These cows have been cut into with precision and there's no traces of any blood anywhere on the ground around the cows. And in some cases, the soil around the cow had even died. There was one instance on the Skinwalker Ranch that Terry and Gwen mentioned. They were going around and tagging the ears of newly born calf. And if you're not familiar with the cattle industry, when new calves are born, their ears get tagged in a way to organize the herd and keep track of each single cow inside the herd. Well, Gwen and Terry had literally just tagged the ear of one of these calves and they went across the field to tag the ear of another calf when they noticed the mother cow was just kind of going around in circles, dragging one of her legs, and was just in an obvious sign of distress. So Gwen and Terry run over to the other calf that they had just tagged, and they're like, you know, something's up, something's wrong, she's freaking out. And when they returned to the calf that they had just tagged its ear, the calf had been completely stripped of its skin and flesh. And it's important to note that this happened within minutes in broad daylight. And there was no tracks of any kind, no traces of blood. And there was like 75 pounds of meat that had just been gone in matter of minutes. And what's strange with these cattle mutilations, you know, despite there not being tracks or blood, is actually the way that these bodies are cut. Oftentimes, the eyes, the ears, and the tongue, and the sexual organs are all missing, but most of the meat and the other organs are still intact. And the cuts and incisions made in these cows are like precise, like surgically precise. It's not like predatory, there's no teeth marks. It's like something with like a serrated edge, like a knife, a scalpel, a machete. Something, a tool or something is being used to cut these cattle. Now, as I mentioned before, there was eventually a team of scientists that went and studied the Skinwalker Ranch for years, and they actually took samples of some of the carcasses that were mutilated, and they sent them off to pathology labs blindly. They didn't tell them what to be looking for. They didn't tell them what it came from. They just studied the samples. And the pathology labs actually came back with results showing that these cuts were made with metallic tools. Something such as like a scalpel or hacked with like a machete. There is absolutely no supporting evidence for any teeth marks or some sort of predatory attack. Some people might speculate that maybe these UFOs are abducting these cows and performing surgery and studying their reproductive organs. I'm not really sure. It's a possibility. But it definitely seems as though these cattle are being slaughtered and operated on in a different area and then placed back 
on the ranch because there's no blood found around their carcass. And sadly, the cattle was not the only animals being killed on the property. In fact, there were even cats that were mutilated, and some of their dogs were even vaporized. So it definitely seemed like some sort of tools or technology was being used to kill these animals. Another strange event that happened on the property, as if you haven't heard enough, there was actually some large indentions in the land like large circles as if there was some large soil samples that had been taken on various areas of the property. There were dozens of these circles about three to four feet in diameter and they weren't super deep but they were like perfect circles as if some sort of equipment would have had to been used to take these samples from the earth. Now, as I mentioned before, there's only one dirt road that leads in and out of this property. And the Sherman's livelihood depended on protecting this property and their cattle. So I feel like it's safe to say that if someone came onto their property with some sort of machine or equipment to take these soil samples, they would have noticed somebody coming in there. And in fact... Terry Sherman and his son actually saw a what appeared to be like a Winnebago one night down in the basin and they thought somebody had gone onto their property and got stuck. They saw these two lights and they were like, you know, maybe we should go down there and help them. Maybe they're stuck or something. And as they approached, the lights got closer and then all of a sudden the lights went up into the sky and then they vanished. So at this point, the Shermans had just had enough. They had been on the property for 20 months, and they were just tormented. They needed help. They felt so bad, and they were so fearful of what was going on on their property. They were all sleeping in one room on the floor, and just trying to avoid whatever was going on on their ranch. They were so desperate, in 1996, they actually ended up selling their ranch to a billionaire named Robert Bigelow. Now, Mr. Bigelow was not a scientist. He was just a guy that was actually fascinated by the UFO phenomenon. And he wanted to find answers into what was actually going on. And he was dissatisfied with the other UFOlogy organizations and the progress they had made. It seemed as though they couldn't agree on anything, they didn't have funding, and they couldn't get anything done. But him being a fanatic of UFOs, and him having plenty of funds to create a program, that's exactly what he did. He found NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Sciences. And I can't tell you exactly all of the professionals that was members of this board, but apparently the list goes on and on, and they are quite professional people. We're talking about PhD, double PhD scientists and doctors that was studying this phenomenon. Robert Bigelow owned Skinwalker Ranch from 1996 to 2016. So for 20 years, Robert Bigelow owned this property, and NIDS his National Institute for Discovery Sciences, actually studied the property for seven or eight years. And being a team of professionals and scientists and doctors, they took a very scientific approach to try to find a logical explanation for all these strange occurrences going on on the property. 
However, their investigations seem to lead to more questions than give answers. And I mean, they looked into any possibility that could affect the Shermans and other people in the area experiencing these things. They took environmental and geographical readings such as detecting radiation spikes in the environment and they also even studied to see if there was any psychoactive plants such as magic mushrooms that could have caused people to hallucinate in the area. They even did a large extensive background check on the Sherman family to see if maybe they weren't stand-up people and possibly maybe they're looking for attention and lying about all of these events. However, their conclusion was there's no reasonable explanation for all of these events to be happening. Robert Bigelow was so determined to get answers and wanted to include anybody that he could, he even allowed investigative journalist George Knapp to sit in on some of the NIDS board meetings and even come onto the Skinwalker Ranch several times to try to investigate and find some answers. And George Knapp even convinced the locals to let him interview them and read transcripted interviews and write a book called Hunt for the Skinwalker in 2005. And he actually collaborated with Dr. Calm A. Kellner. And they wrote this book in 2005. And after that book was published, this topic just blew up. And if you guys are actually interested in reading this book written by George Knapp and Dr. Kalme Kellner, I will have a link to that book down below in the show notes. I highly suggest you reading it. It's a great read. But after this book was published in 2005 and this topic blew up and these stories started to come to light, the American government actually started to get interested in the area and decided that they needed to investigate. And as I mentioned before, there was over $20 million spent by the American government to investigate the area and try to figure out exactly what was going on. And I'm not talking about some small investigation. I'm talking about private industry and Department of Defense and even the Department of Intelligence Agency all were involved in this area and the investigation of the Skinwalker Ranch. And in particular, they were specifically interested in the story about the hole in the sky and objects moving in and out of what seemed to be some sort of portal. They considered it to be a national security threat, and they wanted to get to the bottom of it. Now, given that this was a government investigation, and it was an investigation into the security and national defense, and if there was a threat to national defense, I'm not so sure if these records and investigation reports were made public or not. As far as I can tell through my research, I don't think there is very much released to the public about this program, even though this UFO program went on for over five years and was funded by the Pentagon, I don't believe there was anything made public about this. Now, however, in my last episode, I did mention that there was a caveat that was built into one of these COVID relief packages, and apparently they have 180 days to release all the documents that they have on their UFO studies. 
So maybe we'll learn a little something about this. Maybe they found something and concluded something on their reports on the Skinwalker Ranch. But as of right now, I think we just have more questions than answers. But overall, it just seems like the Unital Basin and all of that area, including the Skinwalker Ranch, seems to have some sort of weird energy around it. Perhaps one of these old Navajo shaman have put a curse on the land after being forced out by the U.S. military. Or maybe there's simply just ancestors that haunt the land and are tormenting the people that now live there. Or maybe there's something a little more sinister, such as a skinwalker still dwelling on this property. If you live in this area and you're listening to this and you've experienced anything strange or have seen something strange, I would love to hear from you. This topic, like I've said before, this is the most studied real estate in the United States and there's just a huge mystery around it. So I would love to hear some stories if you have them. And even if you don't live in the area, but you have a strange story that could relate to this topic or any other topic that I've covered on the show so far, I would absolutely love to hear from you. So please, feel free to reach out to me and call the hotline if you wish. And if you would rather reach out to me online, feel free to go to experiencesunexplained.com and click on the Submit Your Experience tab. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Skinwalker Ranch. There seems to just be something crazy going on in this Unital Basin. It's not just happening all on this ranch. That whole area seems to have something going on. The neighbors of the ranch were experiencing cattle mutilations as well. And people all throughout the community were also experiencing UFO sightings. And when you talk about the paranormal, it's just a matter of time before someone brings up the Skinwalker Ranch because it's just a hotbed of paranormal activity. But that's going to do it for tonight's episode. I hope you guys are all staying safe out there. And be sure to keep a lookout for anything strange or spooky going on. And remember to keep your eyes to the skies instead of glued to your shoe. I'll see you guys next Saturday at 9 p.m. Until then. Take care. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.